are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Have you guys ever been to an event or seen a movie, read a book, or watched something that was just so amazing? It just made a huge impact upon your life. Like you were determined after you experienced or were exposed to that, that you would now think differently, that you would now see differently, that you were determined to be changed, to live in a different way. Have you guys ever experienced something like that where it just like knocked you out like crazy? Titanic. Yeah, like every, every Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> Titanic. I remember the first time I saw the musical Les Mis. It came to D.C., Many, many years ago, I think it was like when I was uh, maybe freshman or sophomore in high school, perhaps. And, um, and I, I guess I'm a big fan of, of, of the musical ever since I got the CDs from my sister. Right? And it was, uh, CDs are compact discs, by the way. <laughs> and um, I had the opportunity to go with my family. And when I, wa- when I saw it, it was so good. It was so powerful. The voices were amazing. Okay, they're not as good as the original, but they were amazing. It was just beautiful. The set was amazing to watch as it changed and turned and unfolded as the story went on. And as you're watching it, you're just taken in by the story. The story itself is just amazing. You guys have seen the movie, right? At least, I'm assuming. Maybe you guys have seen the musical up in Broadway, New York. But it's, it's amazing. The story of sin and grace and forgiveness and redemption and there's this amazing kind of thread throughout the entire story of where Valjean is just longing towards the end, the hope of glory, heaven, right? This amazing, because he knows that this world is not his home, and, there's, and his home and his heart is where God is. It's up in heaven, and the story is just beautiful. And as I watched it, I, I admit, I am not a crying man. But when I watched it, my eyes were tearing up, and I was like, who's cutting onions here? It was amazing, and I just, just hearing the gospel song being sung to my dulled ears, it was life-changing, life-transforming. And when the musical was all over, I mean, I was determined. I was like, I, I want to be different. I want to be different. I want to read and hear no more of this powerful redemption story. But as soon as we left the Kennedy Center, my parents said, who's hungry? I was like, ooh, food. <laughs> the past three hours were forgotten. The, the three moving, convicting hours were but a distant memory that would only serve as an introductory sermon illustration years later. <laughs> and I think that's the problem with many of us today. We come to church and there's a great stirring of hearts. How many of you guys were just blessed and anointed this uh, during praise today? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Bucky. <laughs> there was a stirring of hearts, right? You guys come to church and just passionate worship. There's deep prayers of repentance. Hearts are in sorrowful, are sorrowful in confession. People are touched by God. But then afterwards, once we sing the closing praise songs, once we exit down towards the fellowship hall, what happens? What happens? Ooh, food. What difference will that moment of worship make to us? Now, the, that is the question that's answered in this passage. What difference does it make? What are, we, what are we supposed to do in response to this? There's two points I want to make today. The first point is this, that because of God's mercy, because of God's grace, 
Because of God's love for you and his faithfulness, it demands commitment. He demands commitment. Now, one of my hobbies, it's a weird hobby, I admit, and maybe some of you guys know this. Whenever I have the opportunity, it's not too often, but whenever I do have this opportunity, which is like a few hours, I will actually go visit car dealerships and talk to car salesmen. Now, I know typically going to a car dealership, if you guys ever purchased a car or new or used, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a time where you just feel this big, right? Because they get you, and you feel just you're antagonized and whatever, but I just love it. I don't know why. I enjoy talking about cars with these car salesmen, and oftentimes it leads to an engaging Q&A session regarding my Christian faith when the inevitable question comes up when they ask what my profession is. And so we have deep conversations, and they especially come up when I go around testing, testing the vehicle, driving the vehicle. They think, by the way, they always think, oh, if I can get this guy in the car behind the wheel, then I got him. Because you just fall in love with the car when you drive it. Little do they know that I've locked them in for the gospel presentation. <laughs> They're like, you could pull in right. I was like, no, no, there's a highway. Let's go there. But for the salesperson, they have one objective. To get the customer moving towards that dotted line, right? They'll answer your questions. They'll talk about how good their car is, the product is, whatever. They'll tell facts about and, and, and about recent reports of reliability, effectiveness, or whatever. But ultimately, all that is useless. All the information is useless to the customer, to me, if you don't close the deal. We won't be able to take advantage of the great warranty or the lifetime oil change or the amazing horsepower or the advanced technology for the infotainment system if you don't sign on that dotted line. In chapter 9, verse 38, the Word of God says this, Because of all this, another translation puts it, In view of all this, in view of what? In view of God's glory, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's faithfulness, in view of God's gentleness despite his people's rebellion, in view of the people's confession of their sin, in view of all that, the verse says, we make a firm covenant in writing. Or we make a binding agreement. You see, just like the car salesman, God is listing off the things he's done for us. Things he's doing for us, things that he will do for us. God is revealing who he is. He's like, don't you see, this is what I am, this is what I do. This is the promises that I, that I keep, all that. But here's the thing, all that means nothing for us if we aren't willing to commit to him. If we don't sign on that dotted line, God's mercy and grace, it demands our commitment. Does this make sense? The things that God wants to lavish upon you, it demands our commitment. We got to be able to say, not only are you willing to give it to me, God, but I'm willing to receive it from you. Now, I want to define what this word commitment means. From chapter 10, verse 1 through 28, by the way, it's the whole chapter. Thank you, Justin, for reading that. There's a list of, list of names and titles. It's clear that commitment to God here isn't only relegated to the individual, but is in fact for the whole church. In other words, commitment to God requires corporate act, the people of God. See, right now, the temperament among people these days is things, it's like, when I think about my faith, I only consider my sin. I only consider my salvation. I only consider me and Jesus. That's it. But let me tell you something here. That concept of just me and Jesus is actually foreign in Scripture. While it's true that we express our faith in Christ Jesus personally, 
that expression of faith in Jesus, it should do something. And God, he uses our personal expression of faith to join us into the body of Christ. Okay? To join us into the body of Christ. In other words, it's church. Think of faith to be like the blood flowing through you. But in order for you as the hand or the feet or the arm or the leg, as the Bible calls us, right, to receive that blood, you need to be connected to the central body that contains the what? Heart. Without it, you'll be a lifeless appendage, a rotting limb. Blood will not circulate. It'll just flow out and drain out of you. Commitment here means commitment to the body of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Let's commit to the body of Christ. Whatever the church is going through, we have to take ownership of it. You know, that's the first lesson that I learned as a church staff member. And that is this. Essentially, this church, I will treat like as if it's my own home. Now, sadly, I have seen how some of you guys treat your own homes. But think of it this way. This is your home. This is your home. Something, this sounds legalistic, but trust me, it is not. If you see trash laying around, do pick it up. Pick it up and say, this is my house. This is where I come to worship. This is God's house. We have to take ownership of it. When the church is in need, do you say, will you give, will you give, will you give, will you give? No, no. You got to ask God, God, how can I give? Does that make sense? If there's a space that needs to be filled with a, for, whether it's children's ministry, youth ministry, wherever, it's not like, hey, can you do it, can you do it? But God, how can I help here? Where can I go right now to support? When the church is hurting, you don't say, hey, can you guys pray? Can you pray? No, it's like, God, can, how can I pray? How can I pray? How can I, what can I do, Lord, to bring healing here? You see, through sickness and in health till death do us apart, brothers and sisters, God has not given us the luxury of divorcing ourselves from the church. God demands commitment, personal first, and corporate commitment. Amen? Also in verse 38 of chapter 9, you'll read that it said, there was a sealed document of the names. This means that there is such a thing as a formal and official membership roster. I don't make this stuff up. I love preaching from the Bible. Because I don't make it up. There was a formal membership roster. This is why we have membership class. It's not because I need to add another thing on top of my list of weekly duties. No, it's because membership, it binds you. Membership, it holds you. Membership, it holds you accountable. Membership grows you. Now, I bet the moment I said that, you all started hyperventilating. When we think about Jesus, man, how many times have we sung that song, Jesus, I will love you forever. I will worship you forever. I will be with you forever. I will go even to the most furthest, most points of the earth to share your message. But when it comes to commitment to church, in such a legal and official type of way, we get a little freaked out. My goodness. This is what's sad. We're even willing to hit agree, the agree button and forego the reading the Apple terms of agreement. That could say anything, but when it comes to church, man, we treat it like an option. Commitment to God means membership to the church. And the last point is this. Last point from this passage is that we need to commit ourselves to, the, to obey the word of God. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Let's commit ourselves to obey the word of God. 
in chapter 10, verse 29, there's this call to walk in God's law and observe all the commandments. You could use the word obedience to kind of sum up that entire verse. And obedience is a hard word. It's a hard word. Now, think about it this way. It's like someone coming to you and say, hey, one of you guys, and say, hey, you got to love Pastor David. You're like, oh, no, no problem. You got you to think of Pastor David. Oh, no problem. You got to comfort Pastor David. Oh, no problem. But once they say, hey, you got to obey the words that are coming out of Pastor David, you're like, hold on there. The idea, the word of obedience here is actually a really interesting word. Because it has these descriptive words in Hebrew. Four descriptive words to better explain what it means. I'm going to say this quick. The first is the law or Torah. This means direction. It means the purposes of God's law. Second is the word or word for command or mitzvah. That means authority. We, we don't have in Exodus 20 the ten suggestions. Here are my people. The Lord has given us ten suggestions. It's the Ten Commandments. These, are not, these aren't just guidelines. They're orders. Third is the word for regulation or mishpatim. This is the idea of God's word that it is seen as legal rulings that guide all our affairs. Lastly, there's this word for God's decree or status, hakim. This means permanence. In other words, it's like written in stone. It's unmovable, unchanging. The word of God is unchanging. Now, before you all start sounding the legalism siren, saying, Pastor David has gone off the deep and is now all trying to convert us into the Old Testament ways, calm down. Look, it sounds heavy. It sounds a bit much. But let's try to relate this to our lives and what we're looking for in our lives, okay? Aren't we all searching for direction? Whether as individuals or as a church, well, God gives us his Torah, which means his instruction and direction. The word of God gives us direction and instructions. Don't we all want clear guidance and expertise in the things of our lives? Don't we want someone who has the final authority, black and whiteness of what's true and what's right for our lives? Well, we have God's word, mitzvot, his authoritative commands, his words are our authority. Don't we also long for relevance and purpose and need to be understood? Well, we have God's mishpatim, his judgment of all things where he completely, fairly, lovingly, wisely, perfectly understands our human condition in this broken world. Yes, the word of God understands us. And lastly, don't we long for something enduring, something timeless, something eternally satisfying? Because we live in such a trendy and such a fad-oriented culture, but thanks be to God that he's given us hakim, which are his words that never change. They are engraved in stone. His words will never pass away. Are you committed to the word of God? The answer to that is simple. Ask yourself this. Ask yourself this. Whenever the word of God disagrees with the other authorities in your life, the other commitments in your life, the other affections in your life, the other passions in your life, the other desires of your life, who wins? That's your answer. Commitment means that we place greater and greatest value upon God, his church, and his word above all things. I think the way to help us understand this type of commitment, what God asks of us, is to look directly at the personhood of Jesus. For instance, I remember a couple years ago, I had to sit in with one of my professor's clients during a kind of a training exercise for me, but it was an actual 
relationship counseling for him and uh, the couple that was there. And, of course, they gave me consent and all that stuff. Um, and, by the way, yes, they said I can use it as an illustration, too. Essentially, sorry, the, essentially, the wife began flirting with the possibility of divorce, even cheating on her husband. And he looked at her just kind of like, are you serious? And this was her reasoning. And she says, because you already cheated on me, I know. Not only that, I know right now you want nothing to do with me. Brothers and sisters, it is hard to commit to someone who is not equally committed to us. But when you begin to understand Jesus and his commitment, when you begin to understand, wow, the love that Jesus has for you, the unashamedly, head-over-heels, divinely romantic, infatuated, obsessed, true and beautiful love that he has for you, it will transform you. But unlike the other professions of love we've heard time and time again, and it changes, because we fall in love and we sure fall out of love, don't we? God's love here is eternal, according to his word. God has never once broken a promise. He has never once looked upon someone else lustfully. He has never once compared you to another. He has never once devalued you. He has never once saw you as being worthless. No, the way, the way God sees you is demonstrated by the way God has committed to you, by the way that God, his son Jesus, died for you. It is therefore in view of all this, going back to Nehemiah, in view of his commitment that we ought to make a firm covenant, a firm commitment, a firm agreement with the lover of our soul. Amen. Let's bow our heads. We're going to take this opportunity to reflect and meditate upon the word that you have just heard, but also in preparation for this time of communion Brothers and sisters, will you take this moment and would you check your hearts? Would you, would you use this moment and check your standing before the Holy God? He loves you. He loves you. And he loves you so much, brothers and sisters, that there's absolutely nothing that he's ever withheld from you. Nothing whatsoever. And I want to encourage you guys to take this moment and pray as we enter into communion. It is a time for us to say, God, how have I, how have I been with you? Has my commitment to you been a bit lopsided? Has it been a bit where I just kind of do my own thing? That is no commitment at all. Maybe you should use this time to reflect upon how Christ has committed to you. That he died for us. Willing to put his life on the line for us. 
Are you willing to live for him now? So can I give you guys just a moment just to pray that prayer? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. On the night of your betrayal, before your death, there, there you were, Jesus, sitting with your disciples, the ones who lived with you for the past three years, and you just poured out and loved and saved. And you demonstrate this amazing, amazing teaching by using the bread and the wine to signify these complete, deep spiritual truths these truths, Lord, that we need in our lives. Father, because it was our sins that put you up on the cross and it, was, it should have been our bodies that were broken and beaten. And, and yet, Lord, you took that for us. It should have been our blood that was spilled for our own sake and for our own sins. But no, Jesus, you spilled your blood and your blood has covered all who confess and profess that you are Lord. We thank you, Lord, it is by this very act here that has established a new covenant between you and us, Father. A covenant, an agreement, binding, Lord, that, is, that will remain with us forever. Because, God, you are the one who has saved us. You are the one who has chosen us. You are the one who has maintained us, Father. And, and so we thank you, God, that you are who you are. And I just want to lift you up, Father, in our prayer and in our worship today. That just as you have committed to us, dear Jesus, may we commit to you today. May we commit to you in more than just words, more than just thoughts, more than just these moments, Lord. But commit to you for all of life. Commit to you by communication, knowing you, Lord hearing your word, speaking to you, praying to you, being with the church, committing to the church, the church that you died for. So we do thank you, and we love you. We can't wait for the day we get to see you again. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.